You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the Sixers' two-game winning streak, which includes a 110-102 win over the Pistons and a 122-94 win over the Hawks. We go over the league's top-ranked offense and whether you can expect that to continue and the bounce-back play of Tyrese Maxey. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Since we last spoke, the Sixers reeled off two wins to improve to four and two on the season. Uh, That is a 110 to 102 win over the Detroit Pistons, a 122 to 94 win over the Atlanta Hawks, all of which gives them the league's number one ranked offense. And if you go by relative offensive rating on basketball reference, the best offense in franchise history. How you doing, Rich? Wow, when you put it that way, I mean... You might be doing cha- okay, but you're not doing as okay as the Sixers offense. Championship, yeah, I guess I'm uh, trying to figure out my parade plans. In, uh, <laughs> the second in best June. offense uh, in, in... Or the second best offense in league in uh, franchise history would be the 1966-67 Sixers. I don't know if you know anything about that team, but they had a little bit of success. They, they did, and we're, we're both writing different stories about them for uh, for the athletic. Uh, yeah, they were uh, they were very good, but they also had Wilt Chamberlain. So I'm not sure the Sixers can count quite. I mean, Joel Embiid is pretty good. I'm not sure he's Wilt Chamberlain in 1967, though. Uh, I'm not sure I am buying that relative offensive rating either. I'm sure we will get into that on the podcast. I guess where we'll start off uh, would I start off with the game against the Hawks, the most top of mind game, probably the most relevant game. Best game they've played so far this season. I think we both agree with that. The one win they have against a real quality opponent. So it was, you know, you start off the season and the Sixers come into that game, they're three and two. And you have wins over the Pelicans without Zion, over the Pistons without Cade, and the way I put it in my article, over the Thunder without NBA talent. So you really didn't have a whole (laughs) lot of uh, quality wins to bank on. Not that you necessarily need that in the early going, but beating the Hawks. And look, people call that a revenge game. Bullshit. You don't get revenge over the team that ended your season by winning in October uh, in the regular season, especially when that loss could, I mean, that could very legitimately change the trajectory of the franchise. This win is not quite on the same scale of that. 
but even better than beating the Hawks, it's just getting a real good game under your belt. Definitely their best game of the season. Um, and if it, if we were talking about the top offense, like you mentioned, and there were four or five games that were like that Hawks game, then I think you would start to maybe not buy it completely, but at least be open to buying it yeah. a little bit more. They played really well. Uh, and you're right. You do not get uh, revenge from a game in, well, I guess it was June, but a game that typically happens in late May on uh, on October 30th. You, you don't get that on Mischief Night. And you could tell the Hawks were not, uh, they weren't quite as pumped up as you would you would hope probably uh but like look the Sixers played awesome I thought their uh their defense it was their best defensive game of the night just or uh, of the season I thought just forcing turnovers like crazy and you it know, was you, also their best defensive game of the night they did not was. play a better defensive game last night yeah I might have had a few beers after uh, <laughs> after said it was game funny point. when we were talking about it last night which is like hey can we do this like Kind of early in the morning, like can, like 10 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got to write about the game. Can we push back past 10? Uh, and then noon came and Rich was not quite yet ready. So that does not entirely surprise me that you might have had a beer or two. So, yeah, but but I thought like Maxi and um, starting out on Trey Young did a really good job. And then you have Thibel who just fucks shit up. I mean, <laughs> it's just an amazing performance. You had the, the great stat in your uh, in your piece today on uh He's he's got two of the six games under twenty five minutes, three blocks yeah. and three steals in NBA history. And honestly, three blocks and three steals, it, it feels like it's selling short what he did last night because he was. It was one of those games where he was just moving at a different speed than everybody. Those weren't blocks. Those were complete annihilations. Like you, those were those made me feel bad, and I wasn't even taking the shot. Uh, those were incredible. He engulfed them. He volleyball spiked them. Uh, they're demoralizing. I it was look. The best shot is the one that stays in bounds and get a fast break off of. The one that went into like the fifth row did not do that, uh, but it was just incredible. It was just incredible. Sometimes I do agree with that, but sometimes I think, you know, if if it's that cool of a block, <laughs> it, it does give you some energy. I would say on on both ends of the court, a little bit of intimidation, and also I swear he because we were we were what maybe twenty. 30 feet away from it. He had a yeah, smile on one. that before he even blocked it. Like he knew what was going to happen there. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was incredible. And uh, yeah, you're right. It was like a top gun volleyball spike basically. Uh, yeah, he, he, he was awesome. Um, and, and he just, he makes those blocks that just, you just don't see anything. Also, I, it was funny. I, I kept watching Reddish the rest of the game. Cam Reddish probably was the Hawks best player on the night. He, uh, Every time he ran a pick and roll, probably after those first two, when when Matisse got him in, in short succession there, he was going to the rim every time. He was not getting blocked by Thibault, <laughs> basically. And that's just, I don't know, like it's it, it's the thing about Matisse Thibault where he will have games like in New York where he's pretty much useless because, you know, he doesn't get in a defensive groove because that's not always the most consistent thing in the world. It's very hard to do what he did against the Hawks last night. And his offense just really has not taken a step forward. But man, you know, there are like 20% of the games, 30% of the games where he just gives you this insane lift on defense. I'm not talking good defense because that's that's probably a higher number. That's, that's a higher percentage of the games. It, it, I don't, I mean, he was just, he set the tone as soon as he came in. And yeah, that was the Sixers best game. Like I thought Doc said it pretty well after, uh, 
after the game where he was like, the first half, we just didn't make shots and we still were up 14 points yeah. because our defense, we were forcing turnovers. We were getting good shots on the other end. They were getting free throws by Joe from Joel and they were, uh, they were shooting threes and they, they really didn't shoot a good percentage. And lo and behold, Seth Curry shoots a better percentage as his good game in the second half. And, and really it was like a wire to wire, great victory. So I, you know, I don't know how sustainable some of this stuff is, but that clearly was their best performance of the year. Yeah, and the first half, it looked like it was really setting up for a, a, a disappointing game. You know, Joel Embiid came out. I think he shot one for seven to oh. start the game. They couldn't really shoot. His touch shoot. was all over the place. It, was, it completely abandoned him. The, they weren't really making shots from the perimeter. And you thought, man, if, 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 if they don't get this together, they could end up blowing this game. And they held the lead for most of the first half. I think it was right around 10 points. For most of the, you know, late of the second half of the first quarter and the rest of the second quarter, they were holding a lead. It's not like they were um, behind, but you just thought something had to change. And they did play better offensively in the second half. But at the end of the night, you know, they averaged 97.2 points per 100 plays in half court. It's a good number. And again, when I say that, don't compare that to offensive rating. It's points per play, not points per possession, yada, yada, yada. This is from cleaning glass. We don't need to get into that. That is a, a right around 67 percentile ranking so it's not a tremendous offensive showing in the half court but where they really gained a lot of points was in transition i think they outscored um the hawks i think it was 34 to 14 on fast break points the cleaning glass estimated that they gained 11.5 points per 100 plays above the average in transition uh they forced a lot of turnovers they got out in transition they pushed the ball probably better than they ever have as tobias harris said danny green might he Made a joke about Danny Green running funny, but he gets down there into the corner quickly. They did a real good job of filling lanes in transition, of using those turnovers that they forced into um, into transition points. And whenever they got the defensive rebound, which admittedly wasn't all that often, that was their one real weakness outside of shooting, outside of Joel. In that game, uh, whenever they did get that, that, that defensive rebound, they pushed the ball there too. So they did a real good job. Real good job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... And look, Joel, like he, he really, it was kind of painful in the first quarter. He did not look uh, like himself. God, he was just blowing these layups in ways that we haven't seen. His touch, you, you know, we, we've talked about it just watching it courtside. H- hasn't he had a couple of moments where he takes a jumper and you're like, oh my God, is that no even going to hit the rim? Yeah, no chance. Yep. That's not something you usually associate with Embiid. I mean, obviously, like if he's taking a, a fadeaway three at the end of the shot clock, okay, that's a tough one. But He's doing that a couple times no, on his normal shots. He's had normal moments shots. where he looks like Danny Green against the Nets, and that's not what you're going for. That's not but going he does for. he does hit the rim. He is talented <laughs> enough to hit the rim on this. Uh, Danny yeah. Green, another 0 for 5 against the Pistons. Was it Pistons he was 0 for 5? Uh, oh, yeah. I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had another another rough game shooting. I uh, didn't do a whole lot there in the game against the Hawks. Uh, didn't take all that many shots, I don't think. Only two or three shots. But he has continued to struggle. He had a couple games there where he was making shots from the perimeter. Not the Danny Green season so far that I think you would have hoped, but it is early days. But uh, yeah, back back to Embiid. Yeah, I, I am still a bit worried about what that knee is doing to his pop, like his ability to get to the basket and throw people around like he usually does. I'm also worried if that knee is like actually affecting his touch because I... You know, I didn't expect him to shoot 50% again from the uh, from the field. As we said a lot last year, that was pretty much a historic offensive season, but his touches is, is off. So that's, that's an issue. But like for last night, even with the, the poor touch got to the line a million times, 
played great defense at the rim as usual, you know, and just just did enough to be a major factor again and win games. Now, like moving forward, would it be nice if he started making his 15 footers pretty consistently again? Yeah, yeah, it would. And, th- and that's going to be a big deal. Be nice, but, be nice uh, if he was getting more consistent post position. Be nice if every now and yeah. then he wasn't talking about how he couldn't walk for two days. All of that would certainly be nice. Certainly. Yeah, I, I do agree with that general take of if you're going to play. And look, I, I think it's noble of him to, to be playing and to understand that this team is going to struggle if, if if he's out. But and, you know, if he views it as, hey, this is not going to be a like an injury that I can make worse. If that's the case, I don't know. Um, but but I do understand that. But you got to own your play, and uh, if you if you step on the court, you don't want to hear too much about hey, this knee is bothering me. So, do do agree with that. But again, and like I I said to you, like it's it's remarkable how effective he is, even when he's like you know oh, defensively, 50%. he's controlling these games. He is playing as yeah. well defensively as he's ever played, and that was a matchup last night where that's a tough defensive matchup. That's a lot of responsibility for a big man, especially one who's maybe not moving all that well right now. And I think he played that um, Trey Young. Clint Capella pick and roll really well. I think Tyrese Maxey did a good job fighting over the screens and playing that pick and roll. And they contained that to a mostly two-man game, which they haven't always done as a noise goes off in the background, as they hasn't, haven't always done. I mean, we saw in, in game one of the series last year when Trey Young gets in the middle like that, and like he did against Danny Green um, in that, that game one, he can cause havoc. And he didn't really cause yeah. havoc last night. Notice, Doc did not put Danny Green did not. On, did uh, not. on Trey. Gotta say... He's learning. He's learning. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you would have learned, we don't need to, but learn before the series last year, Ben Simmons might not ask. Well, he probably does. Anyway. Who knows? Who knows? By the uh, way, there, there were a lot of times I was thinking like, is this Ben Simmons situation happening today? If X happened, like, yeah, if Danny was not on trade to start the first game, I was thinking this right away last night. If the flailing foul rules were not in place, yeah. did the, does the Ben Simmons thing yep. happen? Yep. And Trey got you know, two of those where maybe he shouldn't have. I, it's tough, like on, especially on that one where he pulled up off the dribble. Uh, and I forget who was it, Maxi, who ran into him from behind. Yeah. That one looked close because that actually did look like a theoretically he could pull up off the dribble in that instance. So it didn't look completely unnatural. The second one I thought did look unnatural and probably shouldn't have been called. Um, but yeah, that, that, I think that's having an impact on a few players right now. I think Trey is good enough where he will figure it out. It's just like I think Harden is good enough where he'll figure it out. But I do think it is an adjustment for them, for sure. And, and I think it'll. I think with Trey, it might take a while to yeah. to figure out because, I, I mean, I think like he's he's not going to have as many bullshit foul drawing things in his repertoire. You, you mentioned that first move, that was going from zero to a hundred and stopping on a dime. And I know the NBA does not rule that as kind of a I don't know what's the rule like uh, an abnormal unnatural unnatural is yeah. the the term yeah. That's an unnatural play, though, to stop that quickly on a dime. And that is, yes, he's not moving backwards, but uh, he is certainly trying to draw a foul there. Sure. And uh, I would hope if there's minimal, like kind of minimal contact, you could argue Maxi ran into him a little bit too hard on that one. If there's minimal contact, I would hope that's a no call moving forward is my uh, is my general point. Yeah. And w- with Joe, he, uh, it seemed like he was just content to let Trey shoot floaters. Yeah, hey, Maxie, get over that screen. Don't let him shoot a three. But if he's going to make his floaters, we're going to live with that. And guess what? He didn't really make any of his floaters. So. No, he missed He missed six in the lane. And one of them was on a nice rejection by Maxie. But he had some that he could have made and 
that would have been a different game for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it would have been a, a 12 point game as opposed to a 22 point game. So no, they, they really did play well. And I, I completely agree with you. You know, as much as we wonder about the offense a little bit, the defense is uh, they're getting opponents to take the shots they want as well. They are their location effective field goal percentage, their defense number one. So a lot of mid rangers not giving up a lot of shots at the rim. And it's it's like it goes back to as much as Embiid with a touch is frustrating. Like it's just it's remarkable how smart he is on defense and and just how much of a presence he is, even while not really wanting to move that fast. You know, and he, by the way, to say that he still doesn't have some athletic moments in him, like he he had a couple, he at least had one really nice block uh, on a, on a pick and roll. I forget who it was last night, but uh, yeah, it's I don't know, it's a it's a weird situation. But uh, I thought, as limited as he is, he still made a huge impact in that game. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and like you said, it's it's weird because on the one hand, so their effective field goal percentage. Now I tweeted this out in the morning, and I had somebody who was like, "Oh, what the hell's effective field goal percentage?" It's like, how how'd you find me? If if anyway, um, <laughs> in terms of their effective field goal percentage, fifty seven percent first in the league. Uh, their location effective field goal percentage, basically an estimate of what you would expect them to shoot uh, from based on where they're shooting, 50.6%, the second worst in the league. Uh, I mean, this is where small sample size is really a factor, especially when the teams you're playing are just garbage defensively. And I think by and large, they are. You know, I think there is something to the fact that most of the great offenses will shoot better than league average from various floor spots. So I think you could say, well, the fact that they're overshooting the expected is good, sure, but you don't normally go from generating the worst shots in the league to having the most efficient offense. Like that's not typically something that happens, uh, especially when you're talking about playing a a very easy schedule. The fact that they are not generating good looks is something that does concern me. Uh, you know, I think this is something where if they don't get Embiid going back on track, and if they don't get some some production from Simmons whether that is Simmons actually returning or whether that is uh, a trade of Simmons for talent, I I worry long-term about their ability to... Like, it's one thing to beat up on OKC or even Atlanta, who doesn't have a good defense, um, or Detroit. It's another thing to do that against playoff teams. And we really haven't seen that against a playoff-caliber defense. Only two playoff teams they've, they've played so far, Brooklyn and Atlanta. And those are not defenses where you're really worried about. So... We'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm it, still dubious for sure. It's pretty wild that they're the number one off, offense in the league wild. right now. Num- number wild. two on cleaning the glass if you uh, if you want to remove the the garbage time. But yeah. even so, that's it. Does not feel like you're watching that. I, I guess the only time it feels like that is when Seth Curry is making a billion threes in a row, and I think he could continue to shoot a, a very high percentage. Like it's pretty clear. But he, you know what is he at? Like sixty percent right now? Seventy yeah. percent? And that really is like when you look at their their indicators, like they're first of all, they're slowest paced team in the league, which isn't entirely surprising. We've got a post up center and uh, you don't have Simmons in there to, to, to push the pace. But when you look at everything else, turnovers, they're a mid pack team, 14th in the league. Offensive rebounding, 25th in the league, really bad. They're now getting the free throw line after these last two games, uh, which they weren't earlier. That's turned around a little bit. They're still only eighth yep. in the league. They're not incredible at it. But yeah, but you, with the league's free throws going down, if if Joel just gets his ass in the post a yeah, little bit, that yeah. that number is going to go up, which is good. That's that's important. You know, but a lot of this, like they're shooting 
39% from three, which is fourth best in the league. And they're shooting really well on mid range. Uh, I have, where is that? Uh, they are shooting. Nope. I don't have the team specific totals in front of me, but they are shooting really well on, on, on mid range shots. 45% third in the league. Yeah. So if they don't start, like I said, get, if they don't start getting more shots at the rim, which right now should have it up. I don't. I'm the worst. Right now they are second second fewest shots at the rim. If they don't start generating more more threes and more shots at the rim, I just I don't see the sustaining. They have shot more threes and so like last night was an example of I thought the the first half especially they didn't really make a ton of threes, but they they got up a bunch they in did. the first half, and it was but it was like you said it was the defense was fueling the the transition game, and uh, that that is like look I hope. For their sake, like Doc would go back to them and say, like, look, if you play relatively like this, we're not going to win every game, but like the vibes are going to be a lot better, uh, you know, probably midway through the season because that that's kind of the template we have to follow. I'm not sure they're capable of it. Like a lot of sloppy passing from Atlanta. And it's it's fun. It's it's so crazy that how important Ben Simmons is to their transition attack, because you would think Maxi, like yeah. he's fast as hell. You know, he, he should be able to push the pace. But. It's the combination of not being able to get stops, and also, it, it, it's it's harder for Maxi to push the pace. And, just, and just I is. mean everything, forcing turnovers. Ben does better than Maxi. Yeah. Defensive rebounding, grab and go. Ben is as good as anyone in the league. And right now they're not rebounding all that well, uh, and that is a key component to getting out on the break too. You, you can't run if you don't have the ball, as, as the saying goes. So yeah, I think they certainly miss Ben in that regard for sure, for sure. And just yeah, we'll see. Should should, we'll see. should give credit to Maxi. Uh, his last two after, games after we killed him, he came out and played his best two games of season by far. Not even close. Really good. And, and last night was really good on both ends of the court. You know, and it's funny, like six, he's not, he's not going to be a real high assist guy. 16 and, and three is kind of the number you're looking for, but very efficient scoring. Definitely pushed the pace in transition. Only, yeah, only had three assists, but I thought he was responsible for generating good ball movement. Besides that, uh, yeah, he was good. Uh, that hit that step back jumper would would like him you know if if they go under that screen fire away young man you know let's let's see it and he does look so much more comfortable shooting off the dribble than he does off yeah. the catch which individually for his own personal growth and development and reaching his own individual ceiling you could argue that off the dribble jumper is more important than a catch and shoot jumper it is like he's going to need that to become a real good pick and roll point guard he's going to need other teams to really be afraid of going under that screen but this team is a very unique team where you have so much of your offense running through Joel in the post. He needs to be a threat off the catch too. And for him to look more comfortable off the dribble is encouraging for his upside. For him to have not appear like he has made much progress in being comfortable off the catch is concerning for his short-term role in the offense, which is part of why you see Doc throwing him in the dunker spot and generating, I swear, Rich, one day we will not have to constantly talk about a point guard in the dunker spot. But when you have a non-shooter off the catch as your point guard, it it is challenging uh, and he needs to grow in that regard. Yeah. And Doc talked about that before the game, the spacing didn't really make me feel better about like the future. And he was pretty open too. He was like, you know, look, when Shake comes back and he said this before, when Shake comes back, like we're going to experiment with the starting lineup, depending on matchups from a fitness perspective, Shake isn't ready. Uh, but it is something we have talked about. And then Maxi came out and had another really strong game. You wonder if he could push back against that. But I think I think we will eventually see, if not Shake starting full-time, at least on occasion. 
and you could you could theoretically experiment with that starting lineup in other ways too. Uh, you know, may, maybe you take Danny out or something like that. Uh, so I, I don't think that just means Maxi. But I think it it does mean Maxi. It does. I don't think yeah. Doc was being too cagey about that. Yeah. Uh, but he he played really well. So that's look. He he's got a lot of potential. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of gifts. I thought it was funny last night at the end of the game. What were they up like twenty five points? And Doc put Embiid back in the yeah. game for a minute. It was, was twenty four with seven minutes left, and Embiid came back in. I think you brought it up on Twitter. Like this has to be Hawks PTSD. That's the only thing that makes sense. Or it could just be like fourth quarter PTSD because of what they did against the Pistons and the and the Nets. And look, it ended up they they pushed the league back up and B came out like maybe a minute and a half later. It wasn't a big deal, but yeah, that was, that was pretty stunning. That was pretty stunning. He's probably got a lot of negative thoughts running in his head <laughs> with a 25 point lead in the fourth quarter. He's, he's definitely got more than the, the average coach does. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, which is funny. Cause I feel like last year they did do a pretty good job of closing out games in the regular season. It's just that Hawk series was whew, not great. And it's, right. it's always dicey too. like even last year when they, they had a lot of those old school load management games, when you put your bench in for extended minutes in the fourth quarter, trying to see out the game and keep the other team at arms, like there were times last year where it was, ah, it didn't work. We got to put Joel back in, but, but that's kind of the, the edge you you're living on there. Uh, last night was not. Dicey at all. I no, just, well, just, what was surprising was that they, I think they had two, I think they had Maxi and Harris in there from the starting lineup. Anyway, it's not like they were in an all bench unit with 20 up 24 with seven minutes left. They had starters in there to keep them afloat and they still brought him beat back. Um, yeah. For, for like three possessions, yeah, which no, they, they long. scored, but yeah, it just, it didn't feel like the game as much Hawks PS, PTSD that you had. As much as the fourth quarter offense has absolutely sucked, we haven't even talked about it. Pistons, oh my God, what a collapse that almost was. Uh, as as bad as that was, it did not feel like a game that was going to be close at the uh, at the end of it. And whatever, no harm, no foul. It really he is true. We're 25 minutes in this podcast. We haven't talked about the 16 to 1 run that the, the Pistons went on to make that game close in the second half. Another just complete disaster of a stretch offensively. Um, I'm not sure I have... Well, it's it just it, it's just the complete opposite of what last night's game was, yeah. right? Yep. They beat the Pistons. That was a bad win. They played bad. Last night was a good win. Uh, and, and, you know, even if it was a closer game, like I thought when it was 60-46 at halftime, I was like, ah, this is going to be closer down the stretch. Trey's going to make some shots. Everybody's going to shit their pants, blah, blah, blah. It probably shouldn't be that dramatic. It's, it's a game on October 30th. Uh, but they, that was one where they dominated the entire way. And, uh, you know, you had him beat after that game being like, yeah, we're not even close to good enough. And, uh, he was right. I, I don't know if like that message got through in the locker room or anything like that, but, uh, yeah, you could tell from his comments after the game, he was like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't play good at all in this one. And the Pistons without Cade, they got Cade back last night, uh, are just not a good team. No, no, they are not. Um. That's what I mean. Like before the Hawks game and that Hawks game changed. We talked about um, last podcast, how if they had just beaten the, the, the Nets, maybe the entire feeling around the podcast would have been different. Well, that that one Hawks win does change the way this podcast went, because otherwise you'd be focusing on that Pistons game, which, like you said, 
might have gotten a W in the, the, the one loss column. It felt like a loss. It very much felt like a loss. And look, early in the season, Joel Embiid's clearly not 100% physically. You don't have anything production-wise coming from Ben Simmons, which you expect that to re- be resolved one way or another here eventually. So you really just need to rack up some wins right now because this is an Eastern Conference, which is a lot deeper than it, it was last year. Um, you still have the top-heavy teams. Maybe the, the Nets aren't going to be quite as good as you expected them to, weren't quite as good as they theoretically could have been last year. So the top end talent might be a tiny bit down from what you expected, but the talent, you know, three through 10 in this conference got a lot better than it was last year. So racking up these wins is always useful, but not confidence inspiring. Well, I, that win I against think, the Hawks was a little confidence inspiring. Yeah, it, de- it definitely was. And I think this is a key stretch uh, from now until probably the end of next week when they start that road trip. Let's even say like the first game of that road trip, Indiana, I believe it's Portland at home. Yep. It's Chicago at home. It's Detroit on the road. It's Chicago, Chicago on the again. road. Yep. Then it's Knicks, Bucks home. Raptors. And then Toronto, yep. Toronto at home. Like they need to rack up some wins because I think that West Coast swing after that is going to be pretty painful. And it would be painful probably even for a team that was playing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so, I, and let's, yeah. I'm that West Coast trip. Jazz, Nuggets, Blazers, Kings, Warriors. Like it's, that's a that's a tough road trip. That is a very that's tough like road trip. that's one where you're you might come home and say ah we went two and four but we weren't even that bad and you might not be wrong about yeah. that. So yep 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 yeah. Um, so my favorite road trip of the I was talking about that last night. You are not the driver that I am, but that drive from Utah to Denver is incredible. Um, I understand not wanting to do it, but it was uh it was incredible. So I'm jealous. I will not be on that one, but uh. Yeah, that's, that's I, a tough I, I like the L.A. Sure. trip better. I'm not as much of a driver as you. I, oh, like, I, like, I, like, I like the L.A. trip, too. There are two very different road trips, but I like that one, too. I like that one, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, look, where are they going to go from here? I don't know. I can't. Like, am I telling you that? That's the whole point of this team. We, we didn't know anything in the offseason, and now we're six games in, and we're just shrugging. Eh, the offense has been pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> if you had asked me a guess, like I said, I don't think this offense as constructed, is going to maintain even a top five spot, probably not even a top 10 spot. They are doing well now. Wow. I mean, if I'm being honest, what were they, 14 <laughs> last year? Yeah. Um. But they're playing well now. They're Like I said, racking up these wins. Being four and two is like you, you need these. Playoff seeding is going to be very important. It's going to be much tougher to have a high seed. Um, this is a, a much better Eastern Conference. So... I think they've played the third easiest schedule so far based on strength of schedule. For the most part, they've taken care of business. You'd probably love to have one more game, one of those two games against the New York teams. You'd like to have won one of those two. But four and two is a good enough spot to be in. Get your and beat healthy. Figure out what you're going to do with the point guard uh, and go from there. But yeah, I don't know. If Embiid was healthy, I think this pod would probably have taken on a less skeptical yeah. view. Yeah. And if, if, we, if we truly knew like, hey, this is just something where if he's playing, he needs to play through it for a week or two and he'll be good to go. If we 100% felt like that, then it'd probably be, all right, this is a short-term problem. But he just, outside of that Pistons game, still just hasn't looked like himself offensively and they need to get him back. Yeah, and it's like we said, it's the it's the touch, it's the shooting, it's really the, it's the going into the post, it's the high-end offensive skill stuff. Like, he... He can still keep the offense moving with dribble handoffs and stuff like that. It's it's like you, you see a couple of those possessions in the, the first 
half of that game last night. And you you were reacting to these. Like, you were like, oh, yeah, this is weird. Like, he's basically wide open at the free throw line. It would be a situation where he would attack. And he's, like, calling, like, Seth, like, we got to, Tobias, we got to do something over here. Like, we got we to gotta run a dribble handoff and, and get the offense moving. He yeah. just, it's like he even feels a little bit unsure of himself. And I mean, he, he said it was after the Detroit game. He said that it's tough for him to go in the post right now because that yeah. knee. Not a, well, not that, what you want to hear six games into the season. From the league's post-up king. I don't yeah. think you want to hear that. That's not, no. not great. Uh, no. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of people who will be like, ah, he's launching too many threes and okay. But like, I, I think he wants to be in the post more and I guess it's just tough physically for him. It's, it's not what you want to hear. I think, I think his ideal, the ideal version of himself is a bunch of post-ups and a bunch of threes, but you're not really getting the post-up part of that right now. Because, like, you just even saw it against Detroit. Like, Isaiah Stewart, that's somebody he's he would just put in the basket last year yeah. and score 20 points again because he's just not big enough. He's a good young player, but he's not big enough. Uh, luckily for him, I, I don't know, he, he didn't really pay it that much mind after the game. Luca Garza really poked the bear in yeah, that game. He did. Yeah, that he was did. probably his most dominant stretch of the year where Joe was like, I don't even care if and my Joe was like, what? There's nothing personal there. Like, it was nothing, nothing going on. Yeah, he, he definitely poked the bear. That is 100% yeah. true. Our century. Um, and he the, he went into the paint and he, you know, he threw him around for a couple of minutes and you just haven't seen that quite as much this season. So I mean, from from 16 feet to the three point line, 27.3 percent, which is up shockingly. It was at, I think, a low point of like 20 or 22 percent, um, but well below not only his career average of 41.4 percent, but far and away the worst season of his career shooting from mid range. Um, I do expect like that to eventually turn around. Uh, that's a positive. Yeah. That's yeah. For, from a team perspective, like that is an indicator that's going to get better. It's still the fact that he's only getting 16% of his shots near the rim. And the fact that his free throw rate is climbing back up, but still down a little bit from where it was. Uh, they need to, they need to get him back to getting easy shots near the rim. And that hasn't happened so far. Yeah. Any, uh, any other stray thoughts? I think as we, uh, try to wrap this one up. Tobias was good. It's really all been pretty I good about that. Pretty consistently here in early going, which sort of mirrors what he did last year. I remember last year he started off incredibly consistent. Uh, I think most people listening to this podcast wouldn't question whether or not he can be a good regular season player, especially under Doc Rivers, who seems like he is the regular season Tobias Whisper. Uh, it is what are you going to do in the playoffs? And I think a lot of people will still rightfully have some questions of what that looks like, uh, especially if he is the second best offensive option, but he is playing extremely well. Uh, 22 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists on 13 shots there against the Hawks, which followed up a uh, 17.6 rebound on 13 shot performance against the Pistons. Uh, and before that, he had that one where he had 9 assists and probably had one of the best passing games of his career. So he has been good. Um, yeah. Yep. Tobias has been good. We touched Curry on earlier. Miss. He doesn't miss. Right. It's crazy. And I mean, Especially he only had, only had 15 points <laughs> last night on 5 of 9. But he, even even so, like he has a quiet first half, and he just has this stretch where, you know, he makes three in a row, and you know the other team has to call timeout, and he really kind of takes over the game. I I really he just looks. It, it's funny he's not taking a bunch of threes like you would think. The, the indicator last year, with with Doc saying, "Hey, he's our best shooter, but he also passes up the most threes by a mile on our team." I feel like he's not passing up as many this year. I feel like he's just more closely guarded especially now with Ben uh, out of the lineup, like he's clearly the number one. I mean, with, with Maxie not being as much of a shooter, 
And with Danny Green not having to really be guarded outside of just don't let him get up a three. Um, I, I feel like Seth is getting more attention. And, and he's, you know, his off-ball movement at times has been pretty impressive, like in ways I didn't think we saw as much last season. So uh, he played good. He, uh, The Hawks tried to post him up a little bit with uh, DeAndre Hunter, which was not, I don't think, the greatest strategy in the world. It feels like you were getting away from what you were doing. Seth did not like that question last night after the I mean, game. Look, DeAndre when, Hunter is no Kevin Herter. No. No, I, well, that's the problem. Doc has PTSD. He sees Kevin Herter and goes, oh, my God. Like, oh, this is my August nightmares for just that, yeah, that I, red I, hair <laughs> drilling jumper after jumper. I think you're right. I think I think Atlanta came out and they wanted to try to exploit that matchup again. And Kevin uh, and DeAndre Hunter, who I like a lot, he's just not the he doesn't use the size quite as effectively offensively as, as Herter did. Um, and they went after Trey uh, a bunch of times or early. I think I feel like a bunch of times are early in the third quarter as well. I think Herter maybe made, um, what'd I say? Trey. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, theoretically, you would go at Trey, too, but not when you're his teammate. That would be awkward. Uh, But I think they went after Curry a bunch of times there in the first and third quarters. Uh, I think Hunter made maybe one turnaround from the post, uh, but other than that, was pretty quiet, Uh, which that's why you live with those. Even when you have a couple inches, not a shot that most people, quite frankly, even work on that much or have in their bag. Okay, take it. Only negative from the game was the glass. Oh, my God. They got bludgeoned. And, it, it, you know, it It was bad early on, but they, they had built that early lead. Uh, it, it got worse and worse as the game went yeah. on. But the, prob- the problem was they were they were forcing a turnover every, like, second possession and making threes, and it wasn't a close game. But, man, I mean, Capella, Collins, and you could, by the way, I also thought you could see Embiid a little bit not athletically being at the craziest level. He wasn't. He wasn't all that interested in chasing some of those rebounds against uh, Capella, I thought. And just John Collins is such a pain in the ass, too. Yeah, yeah he is. Um, Clint Capella ended up with eight offensive rebounds. Gorgie Jang, uh, four. They ended up with 20 offensive rebounds on, um, you know, 59 missed shots. But I think if you were to break that down into non-garbage time, I think they were approaching 40, collecting 40% of their misses, which was, I think it was... Very obviously their worst defensive rebounding game of the season. But I think if you go back to last year, it would have been like their second or worst defensive rebounding game. And last year as well, it was just a real bad performance on glass. Really the only thing they didn't do well. Uh, And I do think it was a team effort. I think Joel Embiid, you can see his mobility at times come into play here. I think the loss of Simmons, you can certainly feel in this regard. And they just need to do better as a team. Doc was like, our guards need to do a better job of rebounding. I was like, well, they're like not good rebounders. Yeah, no, expecting Maxi and Curry to, you know, crash down on the glass is probably not going to result in a, whole, a great defensive rebounding team. I feel like that's a strategy team should employ until Simmons comes back too as well. Like I would, if I was another team, I would sell out pretty hard on the offensive glass. Especially because the Sixers aren't a great transition team anyway right now. So you're not, there's not the downside to it either. Yeah. Nope. But yeah, I mean, Collins, you know, as much, uh, and it's funny, you know, you, you thought there would be like a lot of bad, bad blood from that rivalry, but I don't know. Jo- Joel seemed like he was having a nice time talking to Trey and Collins who dunked on him and had the shirt of that. Uh, he's, I, I think he's just a very good, tough player. And honestly, we talk about PTSD. Some of those rebounds reminded me like game four when he's like throwing Tobias out of the way for key rebounds at the end of it. He's, I, I don't know. I He's a guy over the last year I've really grown to appreciate in terms of he still has like a very high skill level. He could jump out of the gym and make threes and make some passes as well. But he's just a tough guy too. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, and Atlanta, 
top five offensive rebounding team pretty much every season. And by every season, I mean the last two, because that's really when this team started to come into focus. Uh, so not entirely surprising the Sixers struggled on the glass, but definitely a concern going forward. Um, I think it's probably just about all that I have on these last two games. It's about it. Like we said, key key stretch coming up just in terms of home games, winnable games. Got to try and bank as many as you can. As, as much as we are going to uh, kvetch, is that how you say it? Sure, we'll go with that. A, a, I don't know about, if I've ever actually said that word out loud. So I've, t- I've typed right it before, yeah. just because I've—I don't know. It's maybe it's a sports writer thing to uh, to put that in their pieces, but uh, but but yeah, like as much as we are going to scrutinize how they are playing, you know, what type of shots they're getting, and we think that's important. Uh, you know, it is probably a little more important for a team that is as incomplete and. Uh, we don't know what the hell is going to happen to them yep. in, a, in a bunch of different ways. By the way, Ben Simmons is, is riding an exercise bike. This has been your Ben Simmons update for the uh, <laughs> for the podcast. Doc has no idea when he's going to come back as well. So that's great. Um, but as, mu- as much as we're going to scrutinize how this team is playing, you know, it's more important just winning. That's yeah, and it's look, gonna look di- it's gonna look different I get, at the end of the season. If you're listening to podcasts, you're like, we don't, you know, they're the best offense in the league right now. We don't need a wet blanket podcast host, but like that's just sort of our job is to look at things through a scrutinizing lens, try to figure out what's gonna sustain itself, uh, what is to be concerned about going forward, uh, what we think is going to play out. Um, it's, like I said, it is great that they're picking up these wins because I think seating is gonna be. Not only important, but tough this year in the much better Eastern Conference. But I do think there are some flaws that they have to fix. What, one last note on the offense for me. Uh, yeah, yes, I do. When you look at the shots they're getting, I think it's very fair of you to say, hey, this is going to drop. This is a good shooting team. Yeah. And I, and you know, a, I look. It's a good mid range shooting team, too. And that's why I, I, I said, like, yeah, maybe they're way overshooting their expected effective field goal percentage. But I expect this to be a team that overshoots the league average expected effective field goal percentage, just not by this incredible amount. Yeah. But it, it, I think the bench is the perfect uh, like way to look at this too, because you see that bench right now. It's Shake, it's Matisse, it's Cork, Niang, and Drummond. There's not a lot of shot creation on that group. Like it's, it's hard for them to create a good shot. When they do create a good shot, I think they're going to make it. Like I think Niang yeah. and and Shake, frankly, like I think he's a better shooter than he showed last year. Cork is playing well, um, but it's just the issue of how do you create that shot, um, and, and that's kind of where I see their issues move, moving forward. Somewhat what I see with their starters, like who is creating that shot as well, especially if Embiid is not in the post. Uh, he needs to get in the post just to draw double teams. By the way, too. Um, okay, but I, but I'm rambling. That's about it. All right. Uh, I think that is probably a good enough place to cut off. We'll have another one of these here uh, pretty soon. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.